Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company and what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former CMO of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Dave Reebstein. Professor Reebstein, I should say. Today's topic, a B-School professor talks about marketing, brand value, the metaverse, and measures. Now, Dave has been studying business for many years. After starting his teaching career at Harvard Business School, he moved to Wharton, where he has been a professor of marketing since 1980. Dave, I wish you went to some good schools. Um, <laughs> he has served as a board member and advisor to numerous companies and was also the chairman of the board of the American Marketing Association and the co-founder of Responsible Research in Business and Management. Borrowing from one of my old farmer's insurance campaigns, Dave knows a thing or two since he's seen a thing or two. Welcome, Dave. Oh, thank you, Mike. Um, you know, I, you didn't have to mention the year. You just could say I've been doing this for a little bit, but uh, you got it out there. I, I generally tell people that I've been here at the University of Pennsylvania before Ben Franklin. And we we have a statue of Ben Franklin sitting on a bench, and I did precede Ben Franklin on that bench, so there's some legitimate. That's awesome. That. Well, look, I started my career at Proctor in the Pleistocene era, so we have all this in common. So, <laughs> so, so, first question, Dave: Give us an overview of the marketing landscape as you see it, um, and what have you seen over the past few years? Tell us about the trends and what's driving those trends. So clearly, I mean, so you've already dated me. But what I will say is, you know, for the first decade, two decades of my being a professor and teaching, marketing was marketing and it didn't change at all. I mean, it was just, yeah, you know, let's look at the four P's and let's get focused on that. And uh, and, and there was very little that was going on that was quite dynamic. Um, it has been changing faster and faster. And, you know, we can go all the way back to future shock and toppler and think about, you know, how the world's going to start changing faster and faster and faster and faster. And it's unbelievable, sort of the rate of change. And so clearly going from the four P's to it's still the four P's, but now we're going to do it electronically. We're going to do it, you know, looking online, which really changed a lot of things that marketers do. And um, and frankly, I, I just taught a class last week to a group of you know, 240 executives, and I had to put a lecture in there about generative AI, and yeah. and I wrote that lecture uh, you know a week ago before. Did you, did you use Chat GBT to write that lecture? Okay. Uh, no, I, I so I I did I wrote it. And then I said, let me ask ChatGPT what I should have said. And I looked at those things and I said, oh, okay, this is good. I left out of something that I thought was a good idea from ChatGPT. I saw some other stuff that I thought they have no idea what they're talking about. But I did use it to sort of, what I would say, edit. 
And uh, and I thought it was pretty interesting. But but to your original question, oh my gosh, things are changing so fast. And the the lecture that I had prepared about it, that was you know a week before class. I'm sure by the time I delivered it, it was out of date. And um, and so one of the big challenges for CMOs today is just staying up to date uh, because things are changing so fast. And that's so different than than when you and I started in this whole thing. Yes. Um, so along with this, we're seeing tremendous changes in spending and measurement and a move in general towards things you can measure and weigh things that are harder to measure, like brand that are longer term. Some people are saying this is going to cost folks in the long run. Other people are saying this is just the way the game is going to be played. Tell us, what do you think about this? And as you see people, you have more and more tools than ever. You have more and more places to spend money. And usually a lot of your investors are saying, I want you to do this with a lot less money. How, what do you see happening here on the spending front and on the branding front and in general on the marketing front, given all the stuff we've just talked about? You know, there, there's the old adage that, that what gets measured gets managed. Yes. Um, I think that the, what the new adage is, and I haven't come up with the right slogan for it, but, but what gets measured is where we spend our money. Yeah. You know, it's so much easier to measure you know, digital advertising than it is to measure traditional advertising. Sure, we, can yeah. we put up an ad, somebody clicks. When we're, we're doing some traditional advertising, we have no idea or we have less of an idea of how much impact it is. So people clearly are shifting money over to the digital side because it's measurable, not necessarily because it's more effective. That's uh, that's what I want to talk about. And I'm going to say money moves to measures. That's the thing. I'm just going to coin it for you right now. You can use it if you want. Um, do you think I'm writing it down and I'm authoring it? So, OK, there you go. very good. I want credit like assistant credit on the on the uh, on the academic paper. Is this is this move away from non measurable things going to cost people in the long run, in your judgment? Because you're in a seat where you don't have to you can say whatever you think is right. Well, my answer is absolutely. And, and and I'll put it another way. We saw previously, you know, money moving away from advertising to promotion. Right. And that primarily that was because it was short term. And we can look at those short term impact and, and stop worrying about those longer term investments. You mentioned one of them, and, and it's one that I pay a lot of attention to is brand. Yeah. I think there's less focus on developing brand and more focus on what it is that we could measure in a short-term basis. And so we've gone from traditional to promotion to now, you know, it, it's much more of a digital communication, but but towards transactions rather than really connection with customers, creating that relationship, and more importantly, that, that brand. And so I see that happening. And I do think it's to the detriment of companies. Um, and... You know, it, it may not be to the detriment to careers, because hopefully you get to see what it is that I'm doing and I get promoted quickly. Yeah. Um, but in but in terms of making a long term sustainable business that has some value, I, I am concerned about that. So I, if I sum that up, I would say maybe good for careers, but detrimental to companies. Um I'm, I, I gotta write. I gotta write it down again. So you just call me, and I'll, I'll help you out on all your academic papers. Um, so, so, I, I, and I want to. I want to go back to the promotional thing before we move back to the brand. 
one of the things that we we saw in promotion, I, I think it was, gosh, 20 years ago or so, was the move to price reduction when when we talked about promotion. That's what you're talking about, right? We moved, money started moving to everything in sales because you could guarantee the sales by dropping the price, even if that degraded your value proposition over time. Is, is that right? Is that the right way to look at it? And dropping price, it's one form of promotion. You know, running coupons, boy, we, we we get to count those coupons. We know we we send out those coupons, we get to see the immediate response on that. That's it's absolutely part of what it is. And I'm talking about we can also think in terms of trade promotion. Yeah. You know, I want I want to get on your shelf at Best Buy. Yeah. And and I want to, you know, I but and when I do that, I get to see the results. I right. don't get to see that as as much when I'm investing in product improvement. And, and in particular, you know, for brand and brand development. Right. And the other thing that drove, I think, some of that was the need to make either a quarterly number, uh, an annual number, uh, or, you know, persnickety private equity investors that wanted stuff right now. You know, since we're talking about brands, I know you have done a lot of research on brand value. Tell us about that and and tell us about the research. So, you know, lots of people who sort of study brand yeah. and thinking about the relationship that the brand has and the, and the brand architecture. And I think that I think that's important work. Um, I'm a metrics guy. And so yeah. I, I always want to think about how do we measure the financial value of a brand? Right. And, um, and I absolutely believe we can measure it. I also absolutely believe it should show up on our financial statements. And it would be a real way to reflect, look, I, I as the CMO, this is what it is that I've done. And this is how I'm building my brand. And, um, and here's what value it has to the company and how that would elevate marketing in the, in the eyes of the rest of the organization. Absolutely amazing. And, and the thing that gets me is if you, if you buy a company Oh, the you, goodwill thing. Yeah, you're going right to goodwill. Yeah. yeah. You 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 can measure the brand and you can measure the brand value. Procter and Gamble buys, you know, Gillette. You know, we've got plant, we've got equipment, we've got these assets. There's this goodwill. What portion of that goes to the brand? And sure enough, they have a, a Gillette brand on their books. They don't have Tide. Yeah. They don't have Cheer. You know, they don't have, have Crest or Scope or, you know, I you know, you don't want me to name the brands of Procter & Gamble. But well, since the, I used to work there, I kind of do, yeah, but I'm going to yeah. let go off the hook. And, and the brands they build don't show up anywhere. And you know, it is, I, I think it, this is it's a, an asset. It's an asset for the company. I know this is a super interesting topic, and, and we may have a whole show to talk about on this later. Because it only shows up when you buy a company and it, and it ends up in the, in the goodwill line or whatever you want to call it as as a line item in, in acquisition accounting. But um, but it never shows up on if, if you grow it yourself because there's no way to measure it. So I do believe someday someone's going to crack this code and a bunch of marketers want to do that. But I also believe it's going to be really tough because it won't apply everywhere. Like if you have a B2B brand or a smaller segment, you know, it'll be harder maybe to measure it, but, but I do think it is a, it is fabulously interesting topic. Mike, I so, totally disagree with you. I believe in the B2B, on the B2B side, we ought to be able to measure it. If you're a smaller company, we ought to be able to measure it. My local florist, yes. you know, she's got a great reputation with her clientele. People are more likely to go to her because of 
her brand and, and what and, and the think of the value that that brings to her and her business. I'm with you on this. Okay. I, I'm glad you disagree with me. I'm hoping I look my my hope would be there would be one formula that worked for everybody. Um, my guess is you might need more than one formula, but we're going to do a whole nother show on this. Well, OK. And I don't want to preempt that other show because I'm always delighted to spend time with you. We don't have one formula for determining the value of inventory. You know, there's the LIFO, there's the FIFO, you, you know, there's a, a few other methods that we have. We could have two, three, four different ways of, of measuring brand. And we just, you know, we, we footnote and say, I'm measuring it this way. I agree with this. I totally agree with this because I think there's like probably three or four ways to measure it. But we'll do a whole nother show on brand value because I think and, and maybe we'll bring like the ANA or somebody else in here. Okay. Um, all right. Given everything we've discussed, what should marketers be thinking about right now, both in the long and the short term? Because we talked about careers, we, you know, regardless of the recent Spencer study, it, it's been a pretty fast turning seat. So tell our CMO and agency listeners what advice you have on where to focus now? So you think you've just changed topics, but but you ha you haven't changed topics, um, and you're still talking to a metrics guy. Um, and and when you say right now, what is it that's going on? We're facing an economic slowdown. We're facing the potential of a recession. And what is it that the CEO and the CFO are saying to everybody in the organization? I want to know what the return is on my investment. Right. And and marketers right now need to be able to try and capture what kind of return am I getting? And if we only measured in those short-term sales, we're, we're not going to capture it. So I think that's what it is they need to be focused on. Let me give you a second thing they need to be focusing on. It's we no longer can just think like a customer. We we have all the measures and we need to get in our organization a lot of analytic skills. And it shouldn't be sitting somewhere else in the organization. It should be front and center part, you know, within the marketing group, how we're, you know, how we're going to count our customers, you know, how much we spend to acquire them, what we need to be spending on to retain them. And and think about the value of our customer base as well. Well, gosh, we uh, I I actually totally agree with this, and um and I've I've built like the customer experience group in a couple of companies I've been at, almost all off of analytics, and I'm a big believer in net promoter score, and and also I think marketers in many instances, particularly over the last ten years, have been so focused on acquisition and acquisition efficiency, they have missed some of the retention story. And as it gets really hard going forward, given the potential recession and inflation, consumers cutting back, there'll be this whole new thing about, well, maybe acquisition's not going to help you so much. Yeah. It's, it, and, and by the way, all of this sort of fits together because one of the things that obviously it's becoming more and more prominent is thinking about the, the lifetime value of a customer. Yes. And, and, you know, that is, okay, I spend to get them. I, I want to make sure I retain them and, and look at what their future value is going to be. So it's not necessarily dollars today, but I know that I've acquired this asset. And if I continue to invest in retention, what it is that's going to bring me down the line. Yes. And I, so I hear you saying marketers are really customer representatives, regardless of the industry, and they should be managing the whole customer, not just the top of the funnel or the acquisition phase. 
which which I would totally agree on. But a lot of marketers don't have that, right? They they're sitting on either they're just like the, the essentially the comms people or anything else. When when you when you look at the CMO role today, and you look at how how it varies by company and industry, any thoughts on that? And then like like what what should people be thinking about there? So first of all, how it differs by by industry and, and type of company is there's there's some industries where you've got individual level data and you really have have got an advantage because you can sort of track what each of your customers are doing. You can somewhat customize some of the, the messages that you're sending out and maybe even some of uh, when they go to your website, they're going to see something a little bit different. But I, I think what it is that is going to happen is is our ability to try and measure various different things and uh, and be able to try and, and capture that and in, uh, in any particular way. So so I think we've got that uh, for sure. So so one of the things, if I take everything we've just talked about and I put it in a little mixer, I will say tough recession. A lot of people have cut back on branding. Consumers getting a little tighter with their money. Am I looking at a tougher year for CMO tenure going forward or not? Um, yeah, you are. All you right. are. Um, and, and probably deservedly so. Deservedly so because we're still not, you know, capturing what's that return that we happen to be getting. All right. Well, there I'm going to Dennis for an uplift after our, after our chat here, Dave. The um, so it's, I, I, but I would agree with you. I think it's going to be a tough year. The other thing I think that is really on the CMO is to make sure you're partnering with the CFO so you don't get a set of unrealistic expectations given the economy and given the headwinds that a lot of companies are going to be facing. And if you're not ahead of that game, man, it, it could make it even a tougher 10-year story for you. Um, yeah, but, but the only thing that is the positive side of it is there's lots of other new CMO positions that have opened up. So, so that's that's the bright side, right? Is there's there's lots of you know everybody keeps moving from chair to chair, right? And if you're a recruiter, it's a fabulous upside. So, um, I want to flip topics because I know you have been studying the metaverse. Tell us what you've learned and how people should be thinking about the metaverse. Um, I, I think there's a lot of companies that wanted to race to the metaverse because. You know, there's been previous parties that uh, that people came late to. And it's like, I don't want to miss this party. I keep hearing all this buzz about the metaverse. I keep seeing the McKinsey forecast of the trillions of dollars that are going to be in metaverse. I need to be there. And, and, and yet I, people don't know exactly what they're expecting from that. I know I need to have a presence there. Am I using it to build a brand? Am I using it to make money in this metaverse? Am I using it to drive sales so that I can, you know, make money, you know, in, in the real world that's out there? I, I got to tell you, I've now interviewed a number of companies that are in have a presence in the metaverse, and um, it, it's it's not clear the companies have got their hand their head around what exact role they hope for it to have other than I know I need to be there. I just need to be there. Um, and so that that's part of where we are. I'm still not convinced, you know, 
call me old school. In fact, I think you started the interview that way. Of, hey, I've been doing this for a long time, and that's right. I do not believe I used those exact words, but okay. <laughs> well, okay, not those exact words, but but it but it turns out that um, you know I'm I'm still a. I think it's going to survive. I don't think it's going to be the panacea that we we had heard, you know, everybody talking about. And so I, I think the jury's still out and the dust is eventually going to settle. So so let's go back because you mentioned a bunch of parties that people were late to. And I, I would say some of those parties were the move to mobile, uh, the move to social, where where a bunch of people thought that's just for this group of customers or that's not really a big deal. And they were really late. Those were though different, I think, than the metaverse. Maybe in in my head, when we at first, am I drawing the right conclusion across? Like like when I look at mobile and social and people being late to the party. So, so that's what I was referring to is exactly those two, and it, and it turns out you know some people were going well, well. Let's wait and see what happens, and it's like oh my gosh, this is, has really taken off. We can even go back to do I really need to be into e-commerce? And right. I'll, I'll, take, I'll, I'll take us back to, you know, Merrill Lynch saying, no, we've got a big field force. We don't need to do e-trading. Sure. And it's like, boy, here comes e-trade. I think we need to be there. Well, uh, you, but- know, you, you also look at insurance where Progressive and Geico kind of ran away uh, with digital before anybody woke up. And they right. let them also build massive brands there. Tell me why the metaverse, though, is different than digital, mobile, and social? Because is it because they're platforms or what is it? Tell me why the metaverse is different in your mind. First of all, it's just freaking freaking weird, okay? I mean, this is just people living in this other environment um, is weird. Um, And by the way, I'm not sure it is different, but but I think what is different is lots of companies rushed in I need to have a presence there. I need to. I need to, to build a virtual world, and um, and so I think one of the things that that is different, and 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 maybe it's one of the things that's also similar is it's a pretty narrow part of the population that are the users going into it. Um, that probably was true for mobile, and it, and probably true for social as well. Um, I'm not as convinced that you know we're all going to be we're wearing virtual headsets and sort of living in the in that virtual world. Um, but I think the technology is going to change. I think it's going to take you know most of the things these days are happening faster than we would have guessed. Um, I suspect that uh, Facebook is sort of pausing for a second and saying maybe we shouldn't have changed our name quite so soon. Quite so fast. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, let's wait to see what it is that's going to end up evolving. Because I'll say, see if I'm right on this one. When 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 mobile came and social came, those were those were effectively they took things you already did and they made them more efficient or easier or more community based. Um, than the metaverse, which is it's unclear exactly, you know, what the consumer benefit is in the metaverse, unless I'm doing some kind of like super training or, you know, virtual reality training stuff. It, it, is that a fair statement or not? Um, almost. I think part of what ends up happening is that we've got this, I want to think in terms of e-games. Yeah, sure. And the e-game market has just taken off, right? right. And um, and so if we can play games 
you know, when you and I were growing up, we'd go into the backyard and we'd play baseball and we'd go out into the street and play hockey or or the driveway and play basketball. We would do real sports. And then there's these esports that it's a huge business right now. Yeah, and pretty fun too. If, if people could play yeah. in these virtual sports, it sort of is a natural world to think of, well, then they can shop in these natural sports and and have fancy cars in these in, in in this e-world and it sort of is like living an alternative life which is a little bit scary for 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 me to get my head around yeah but it's going to happen by the way i said 10 years ago i said we're going to see esports in the olympics and uh how weird is that but we're going to see esports in the olympics you're ready player one um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, hey, um, given everything we just talked about, are, are are we training business students at you know great universities like like uh, like Wharton and in in other schools, uh, Fuqua maybe? Um, are we training students correctly for the jobs they're going to get? Um, well, first of all, I have a little bit of skin in the game. I, so, I, I guess that, yeah. This this may not be an unbiased uh, answer. Um, I, I would like to believe that we are. And what I believe is that we need to be training our students, not just here's how you do it, but here's how you learn and adapt and evolve. And, um, and learning how to adapt and evolve and how to analyze things is is what the, the student of the future is going to need you know, to do once they graduate and, and go out into that world. And I think that's really, really important. That being said, by the way, I believe there's a lot of things. I, I, I believe in many ways, some industry is out ahead of academia. And we within academia are racing as fast as we can to catch up with some of uh, industry, industry practice, for sure. But a part of what happens at Fuqua at Wharton and, and other places is, you know, all the students come in with the richness of experience. And so some of that is learning from others that happens. And it, it's not just all happening from the front of the classroom. Well, this may be a great follow on when we talk about brands and our next show, like, are we training students to deal with all the ambiguity that, that goes with this and the ability to kind of pivot? So, so last question before we end the show, and it's a two-part question, you could Pick part A, B, or both parts. Funniest marketing academic story that you can share and or a piece of practical advice we haven't discussed yet that might be beneficial to our users. Um, so funniest academic story. And and um, and actually, I'm going to pick on me. All right. This funny story. And it's right up there with my most embarrassing story. All right. Um, this is so take us back a little bit before uh, before the Russia and uh, Ukraine incident. Um, I had flown over to deliver a speech in Moscow. I had a large audience that was there. Uh, I don't sleep on an airplane. I've tried. I don't sleep. I flew over. I got there, you know, and walked around and saw some of Moscow. I'd been to Moscow a few times before. I went to bed. I fell asleep about five o'clock, but I'd missed one night. I've now missed my second night until five five o'clock. 
but my alarm went off at 6.15. So after two nights, I've had an hour and 15 minutes of sleep. Had an early morning meeting, and then, bam, I'm in front of a large group. And I'm up there speaking to this large group, and I've got, you know, translator that's going into my ear and, and speaking out to them. I've had a lot of students fall asleep in my lecture. Yeah. I fell asleep in my lecture. <laughs> I am standing up in front of class. I'm speaking for a while. This is now in the afternoon. And somebody asked a long question in Russian. And I've got some you know, some translator that's talking into my ear. And at a certain point, yep. my, 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 on my feet, my head goes down. The next thing I know is I hear the translator going, professor, yes. professor. Comrade Reebstein does not wish to answer your question. I think that's what they should have said. Yeah. Um, all right. So last, uh, last thing before we sign off, practical advice for our, our marketing and advertising listeners. You've got to figure out how to measure what that financial value is, what it is you're doing. Um, it, it is really important. Your budget's going to be sliced unless you can justify what your spending is delivering. And you've got to justify it, not in terms of marketing metrics. You've got to judge it, uh, justify it in financial metrics. And, and that's where your future lies. I agree with that. We have a whole show on why marketers should learn to speak financial um, so thank you, Dave, and thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, and YouTube, which include what venture capital really thinks about marketing, why the short shelf life of CMOs parts one and two, why is marketing innovation so freaking hard, and will the obsession with measurement destroy the marketing function? But, but yeah. I'm going to have to listen in on all this, and I'm going to be a heckler on your show. So I, we, we would love nothing more, and we will be bringing you back to talk about brand and some other stuff. And thank you for the time. Thank you, Mike. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain.
Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life.